I'm going to this morning try and take us a little bit further in our journey of life in the Spirit. I'm going to recap quickly, and this morning will be a bit of a recap of the last few weeks, but also trying to get more practical just as we look at what it really means to, to, to keep in step. We have been looking at who the Holy Spirit is, and we've summarized, if you like, that the Holy Spirit is person, presence, and power. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is misunderstood. Um, uh, sometimes our, our, our kind of understanding of it's flaky, uh, you know, at best. And we want to get a, a, a biblical, robust understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. And he reveals, I think, himself to us throughout the Scriptures as a person. Okay, it's a, he is God part of the Godhead with the Father and the Son. He is presence and he is power. And we've been reminded how Jesus told us that it was better that the Holy Spirit would come when he left. And why would that be? Jesus said that it was better that the Holy Spirit would come so that we could all become like him and participate in the divine nature. That is the a destiny that sits in every single person in this place this morning. You were born to be like Jesus. You were born not just to be a good person. You weren't even born to be a nice person, right? Nice is just, nice is like beige, right? Who likes beige, right? And if your house is painted beige, I'm sorry. There's probably parts of mine is too, right? But beige is just blah, right? And sometimes Christians just try to be nice and that's just beige, right? We're supposed to like be stand out, color. Lots and lots of color with the God colors, and we're supposed to. And God is not boring. God is not beige. Okay, I have totally dug a hole here, right? But God, I am convinced, is not beige. God is a kaleidoscope of colors. Okay, He is light. He is beauty. He is ultimate worth. He is all of those kind of things. That's why we desire to worship Him, right? He is not boring. He is not bland. He is not blah, right? He is color, light beauty, glory, all of those kind of things. And we were called and born. And then, because of sin, which corrupted all of that, we were born again in order to participate in that glory, to be a participant of the divine nature. But the only way we can do that, Jesus gave us a glimpse of what that was like in the life he lived. The only way we could do that was through his spirit that was poured out into humanity so we could become like him. So that we could, yeah, we could become like him, but not just become like him and becoming like him in terms of character, actually do the things that he did. And so the big picture vision, if you like, of why the spirit has come upon us is so that we can become like Jesus. It's so that we can actually take on his form, become Christ-like in our nature and our character, reflect something of his glory. That's the the Greek word is teleos for the word goal. The telos of our lives is, is to be like Jesus. That's what we're heading towards. So when we talk about the reason, the reason I really am emphasizing this, because sometimes we talk the Holy about the Holy Spirit in Christian circles, like a bit of it in a consumeristic way. You know, we just need a wee bit of the Spirit to give me a pick me up or an emotional high, or you know, just to make us feel better. And the Holy Spirit will make us feel better, but it's much more than that. It's leading us into the likeness of Jesus and proper sonship with God. And so we're we're teasing this out. What it actually looks like in the next couple of weeks, we're going to Stephen's going to speak next week. We're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit and unpacking what it acts. Love looks like something, yeah? It looks like the life of Christ looks like something. And so 
I want to say this because we, uh, and Chris indicated, we are an encounter people, okay? We, we love to encounter the presence of God. But when, as Chris alluded to, we encounter the presence of God, it's more than just an adrenaline rush. It's more than just, oh, that was really class worship today and we just felt brilliant, right? That is just scratching the surface. Because what should actually happen is we should come into, when we encounter God, we should encounter something of his character, and therefore we should be changed. And so the reason that why we're emphasizing this at the moment is there's an encounter night tonight in Lurgan. You're very welcome if you want to come across where we just leave space and worship to encounter the presence of God. But sometimes the way we talk about encounter doesn't necessarily lead to maturity. Right? Sometimes the way we talk about encounter. And so if you have encountered God and it doesn't lead to maturity, you have to actually question, was it an encounter of the Holy Spirit? Or, or was it just something that made you feel good for the night? Right? And like feeling good is better than feeling bad. Okay, so that's, for, that's good. But it's not necessarily the Spirit at work to transform us. And so we, uh, and, and the reality is, if we're all being honest, we're all, we've all had that cynical kind of moment deep down where somebody told us they've had a brilliant encounter of God, but nothing's really changed. And then we've wondered, did they really have an encounter of God, right? And, uh, and we as people, we want to be people that encounter the presence of God, but in a way that's going to transform us, that we're going to be transformed from the, the little kind of caterpillar there into the, the butterfly, that we'll go on a journey of transformation. And we want the, the encounters that we have to lead us to maturity because there's no hiding place, right? <laughs> Our true colors will shine through. Somebody wants sun. And, uh, and we want to have that agape love in our lives. So what I want to say is, if you're emotionally immature, and what I mean by that is, if you're cranky, defensive, impatient, um, yeah, all of those things that I'm never, right? <laughs> Not. If you're those things, it doesn't matter how many, how much of the Bible I know. If I'm emotionally immature in that way, I'm spiritually immature. Because that's not the fruit of the Spirit. So it doesn't matter how, how much I can impress you with my biblical knowledge or how, even how good a preacher I am. If all of those things are going on in my life, if I'm emotionally immature in that way, I'm spiritually immature. Because Jesus said there was an indivisible union between loving God and loving people. So if you're going to love God, and connected to that and flowing from that is we love people. That's where the rubber hits the road. And that's why Paul said to the Corinthians, and the Corinthians loved a good worship sesh, right? They loved getting in a room, speaking in tongues, you know, going off in one. Like, and I love that too. But there was nothing being changed and transformed in their lives. And Paul said, you're immature, right? There's, there's not fruit coming through this. This is what he said. Brothers and sisters, I couldn't address you as people who live by the Spirit, so I couldn't actually talk to you as those who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I give you milk, not even solid food. I couldn't give you a good steak, and I really wanted to. I just had to give you milk, because you're like babies in the faith. You're like people that have just come to faith. For you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly, for there's jealousy and quarreling among you. So they were running about, speaking in tongues, doing all these things that made them look really spiritual, but they were jealous. They gossiped. There was good old 
poured down Lurgan, but they were bitching amongst one another, right? That's not Jesus-like, right? And so it doesn't really matter how spiritual we think we are, if the fruit of the Spirit isn't evident in their life, it's not maturity in terms of like Christ-likeness. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 14, and he says, what does he say? He says, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like, stop thinking like children. Grow up into who God has called you to be. Uh, and so we've come to realize that, that we um, need to go on a process where we engage our hearts and our wills if we want to become like Christ. And so life in the Spirit, just really quickly, is a bit of a recap from last week. This isn't working, Johnny. Can you give me a wee... Yeah, life in the Spirit is not living on to the flesh of the sinful nature. And it's also not, number two, um, the next one, living under the law. So it's not living under the flesh. It's not wanting to live by our own desires, but it's living onto Christ. And it's not also, it's also realizing that we're not living under the law. The law isn't enough. What we learned last week was the law, the Old Testament, like the rules, if you like, or the guidelines that they were, children of Israel were given to be like God were only, um, uh, to help them get a, a building block, a starting point of what God looked like. Don't kill, don't murder, don't do all those things. God was helping an uncivilized people understand what it was like to start being a holy people. But he was only giving them that because Jesus was going to come to fulfill the law and to complete the law, to fill it up. So the law was built, if you like, on a negative premise. And the negative premise was, what can I get away with and still be Christian? (laughs) What can I do? Or what can I, what's the least that I have to do and still be Christian? And then the problem is when you do that, you start measuring yourself against everybody else in order to prove your spirituality. And we've realized that that's not enough. Living in the spirit, I think this is on the screens, is a process of spiritual transformation where it's not just about controlling our sinful acts, but rather allowing God to change the source. Yeah? So it's not about putting something to just control us. It's not our own willpower itself. It's allowing God to take out our old fleshly heart and put a new heart in to us that beats after him. And so life in the spirit is not living under the flesh and not living under law, but it is true sonship. It's freedom. It's knowing that we belong to God the Father and that his character has taken residence in our lives through his spirit and we are being transformed from the inside out. And it's also a life of love, a life of holy love, of covenantal love, of agape love. It's not love in the way we define love. It's love that goes the extra mile. It's Christ-centered, cross-shaped love. It's love when you don't feel like loving kind of love. (laughs) It's love that will go beyond what the natural course of culture would tell you to do for someone or for something. And it's the completion of the law and the prophets. That's why Jesus could say, when we love God and we love others in the way that God loves, then we will fulfill the law and more. And so holiness, a life of holiness, is a life of love, where our lives are conformed to a higher calling of giving ourselves away. Okay? Holiness is not about moral superiority. It's about agape love. It's about conforming our hearts into the likeness of Christ and loving like he loves. It's a, th- it's a thing that only the Spirit can do. It's a transformation. And so, in the last 
15, 20 minutes here, won't you give, if you can give me, if that's all right. We're going to look at how do we stay in step with them. If we go on to the next slide, I think the scripture that we started off with and we've been looking at over the last few weeks is Galatians 5 says, Paul said to the Galatians, I say then, live by the Spirit and you will not satisfy or gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the Spirit. You see this kind of war that's going on within us. There's a sinful nature that desires what's contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what's contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you live by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So what we've been trying to help you understand, well, what does this mean? Because if we live by the Spirit, then we won't gratify the, f- the desires of the flesh. And, and, and sometimes what we do is we reverse that. We go, if only I could get my flesh under control, then I could live by the Spirit. But Paul's saying, no, if we teach you to live by the Spirit, then you'll naturally not fulfill the lust of your flesh. But what I find is people don't understand how to live by the Spirit. And they think, to go back to what I was saying, that to live by the Spirit is to go to church and just get a pick-me-up and then that'll keep me going to the next week or the next encounter. And the reality is we can encounter Jesus every day in our lives and that process of transformation can start to take place. And that's what I want to try and teach you today. Because in a few verses later, it tells us this. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's walk to the beat of the drum of the Spirit of God. Let's connect with His heart. Let's be attuned to His tune. Let's have our aerials up so that we're tuned in to the frequency where the Spirit is moving, not off on our own kind of station. We want to stay in step with the Spirit because you can get out of step. Next scripture says, Paul said, to the, this is all to the Galatians, he said, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to complete it in the flesh? Have we somehow kind of got out of walking in step with the Spirit and like we can still go to church, play the game, everything looks all right, we still look Christian on the outside, but we're out of step, we're, 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 we're trying to finish this thing in the flesh, we're trying to control this thing in our own where and so three things that i want to say about how to stay in step first one is we surrender daily we have to surrender daily if we want to stay in step with the spirit to become like jesus we need a complete dependency on the holy spirit right we need a complete dependency on the holy spirit if we want to become like jesus you see There's a, what I find in Christianity today, there's a lot of people that, you know, consider themselves Christians. And they're good people, but they're not really becoming like Jesus. And, you know, I'm speaking to myself as well here. And, and that's because we have created a form of Christianity that it's really easy to pretend. It's, it's really easy to do the things that you need to do to look Christian. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a deep work of transformation going on in our lives. A deep work that sometimes is painful, but a life of ultimate joy and freedom. Because we're finding more and more of our identity or security, all that we are in the person of Jesus. And we're surrendering. When we surrender daily, we're surrendering to being in control of our own lives. In order to say, Holy Spirit, come and be my guy. Come and change and transform me. 
And so what I want to do is I want to trust the Spirit more than I do a way of judging myself against others. Because this is what we do. We don't necessarily trust the Spirit. We just think, if I could do these things, it looks Christian. We do this sort of subliminally. We don't necessarily sit down and think about it. But we're wired to kind of think that as long as we're not doing what everybody else would think is not that Christian, or as long as we're not as bad as what that person's doing, then we're still Christian-ish. And, and Jesus said, but I'm not calling you to be Christian-ish. I'm calling you to be like me. and calling you to be perfect like I am perfect. And the only way you can do that, the only way you can do that, because that's impossible, without the actual spirit of Jesus working in you in order to transform you to become like him. And so in order to do that, there needs to be a daily process of surrender. I said last week is uh, we need a decrease in order to increase. I said that we, yeah, yeah, that we need to acknowledge. We need to acknowledge. We need to daily acknowledge that Jesus is Lord of our lives, and we also need to appropriate. That just means kind of apply in a very personal, real way to your life the work of the cross. So it's like, so this is what I do most days, right? I say, sometimes I say, Lord Jesus, would you be Lord of my life today? And sometimes what I do is I'll imagine myself kind of on the cross with Jesus. Now, thank God I didn't have to die in the way Jesus had to die because he did it for me. But when I want to, if I want his likeness to come in me, in a sense, I'm identifying with his death. That's what happens when you get baptized. You identified with his death. So in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so I, I appropriate that work. Because there's, there's things and desires. It's easy for that old nature to come back in. It's easy for me to want to be in control of my life. But if I, if I go and appropriate that work of Christ to my life daily, I am I am allowing his life to be more fully transformed, or to be more fully lived, and therefore me to be transformed through that. Okay, So we have to daily get off the throne of our hearts. Remember that little diagram I showed last week of if that's the throne of your heart, if the circle is your heart, and the chair is like the throne of your heart, that S is like self. We often sit in the throne of our own hearts. And what I find is that often people bring Jesus into their life, or try to bring Jesus into their life, or try to become Christian, the reality is that cross kind of comes inside the circle, but S is still sitting on the throne, or put your own initials. And so every day, and what I, what I realize happens in my life is, I want to pull myself back up there and sit in the throne of my heart. And so every day what I have to do is I say, God, I want to get off that throne. I don't want to live on the throne of my own heart. I want to submit my heart, my life, all that I am to you. Love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that then I can love like you love in the world. And in that I experience joy that I can't find if I'm in control of my own life. Even though that's where I default to. The second thing, so ideally surrender. The second thing is, we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. What does that mean? What on earth does that mean? To set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Uh, The verse says, um, for though, Paul says in Romans 8, for those who live according to the flesh, Set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, Spirit, they focus on, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So if you live according to the flesh, you'll set your minds on the things of the flesh. But if you live according to the Spirit, you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. You you kind of think about, you ponder, you learn how to meditate on those things. So what does it actually mean? 
what does it mean to set our minds on the things of the Spirit? Because I think sometimes we're really confused about that. And all I, and we think it's something kind of up in the clouds somewhere, but it's not. It's very real. In order to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, right, just think about Jesus. Just try and become obsessed with Jesus. Because Jesus is the face of the Spirit. Because it's the Spirit of Jesus. And so in the same way that Jesus showed us the Father, Jesus showed us what the Spirit looks like. And so if we want to set our minds on the things of the Spirit, think about Jesus. Read the Gospels. Become aware of how he lived. Imagine yourself in the pages of the Gospels. Imagine how you're responding to Jesus. Imagine hanging out with Jesus. Becoming like him. Being in his image. Understanding sonship the way Jesus lived sonship. This is the process of transformation. I think what some of us don't really understand is that because of sin, we are, we are actually deformed, spiritually speaking. Sin in our lives has left us deformed. And the sin in the world around us has left us, has left us deformed as well. You see, sometimes we think, I'm not really doing anything bad. But just to, it's like just swimming in dirty water. We live in a world where the prince of the power of the earth is the devil. We've got all sorts of insidious kind of evil just going on. And the problem is we just get deformed. See, here's the thing, right? We're talking about discipleship here. But somebody is discipling you. And here's an even more scary thought. Somebody is discipling your kids. Something is discipling them. Some, because we're created to want to be like something or be like someone. Or worship someone. That's the way we're created. So something is always discipling us. The, the research apparently now is we, we look at our phones on average 150 times a day. I'm not saying that's always a wrong thing. Because, you know, my mom might be texting like saying she's made a dinner or something. And that would be a good, that'd be a good thing, you know. I'm not saying it's always a bad thing, but if that's what you're looking at, 150 times a day, and that's the average, right? You know, or the box sets we watch. None of these in themselves are really bad things, but the, the people that we work with, the principalities and powers that are in their workplace, as Ian alluded to, we just get caught up in those things, and we don't realize that we get spiritually deformed by these things. We don't actually think like Jesus thinks. We're thinking with, with the fleshly kind of mindset. And God wants to, us to understand this. And I, I think that what I want to do, that our hearts get tethered to things that are, are, are set up to serve the purposes of rival kingdoms. And, and sometimes we don't realize the level of deformation that's going on within us. And it's only through the spirit and obsessing with Jesus and becoming aware of who he is and being in his presence that we get reformed and transformed into his image. And it's a daily, daily thing. And the challenge is, if you're being discipled by these things, they've kind of ultimately become our gods. What your heart clings to, Martin Luther said, and confides in, that is, that is really your God. John Calvin in the next one said, the human heart was an idol factory. I love that. It becomes a place, our hearts become places where we give our affections, our times to certain things. And we don't, we'd, we'd never say they're idols, 
But we think more about those things. We obsess more about those things, if we're being honest, than we do about Jesus. And therefore, we get transformed into their likeness, not the likeness of Jesus. Right? And, and, and so, this is why we have to become more aware of the work of the Spirit. Because in the law, all you're trying to do is kind of not do certain bad things. But you're not really being transformed. It's the Spirit that leads us to Jesus. And in seeing Jesus, then we get changed and transformed. And so we have to orientate our hearts towards Jesus. If the heart is like a compass, an erotic homing device, then we need to regularly calibrate our hearts and turn them to be directed to the Creator, our magnetic north. We want to turn the needle of our hearts every morning, every day, and throughout the day towards Jesus. And I'm not saying that means every time you have to have an hour and a half Bible study. I'm just saying that you find that way is that you can focus your heart and your life on Jesus so that we can see the one that we want to be like. Not a form of religion, not a form of Christianity, but a person. And the person is Jesus. And we want to move in his likeness. And so we have to imitate him and we have to practice the things that he did. We want to imitate Jesus and we want to practice his life. Dallas Willard said this, We can, through faith and grace, by practicing the types of activities he engaged in, by arranging our whole lives around the activities he practiced, in order to remain constantly at home and in fellowship with the Father. In other words, we just start to learn how Jesus lived his life and we try to live his life as well. Here's here's another quote by Tom Marshall. It turns out that we achieve Christ-likeness not by, get this, not by striving or self-conscious modeling on his life. We become like him by being absorbed in him. As we concentrate the core of our life on Jesus, as we contemplate his actions and meditate on his words, we, without being aware of it, are being changed into what we are focused upon. What are you looking at every day? What are you looking at every day? What are you focusing on every day? So I'm not saying that that doesn't mean that you have to focus on your work. Of course you do. Focus on your school work. Of course you do. Focus on your family. Of course you do. But imagine being able to focus on them in light of how Jesus thinks about them. Imagine how the lens, the filter that you've been, like the light of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus that you've seen as you spent time with them, that's kind of affected your eyes in such a way that when you look back out at the world, you're seeing the way Jesus looks at them. Does that make sense? Not just coming to church every Sunday and putting the Jesus-like glasses on so you can think like Jesus thinks for an hour on a Sunday, but somehow we're being transformed. So that's a a constant thing in our lives. And um, I haven't got time to go through these as much as I'd like, but just shove them up. So here's some of the practices that that Jesus did. Jesus did these, and these are the Son of God in order to kind of keep himself in tune with the Father. And, And these are things that I've just, I've just tried to put into my life. And and so I pray. <laughs> I, I'd love to pray more than what I do, but I, I get up in the morning. And this At this particular point, I, I read two Psalms a day and something in the Proverbs. That's what my focus is this year. I'm going to try and get through them all three times so that in my prayer and in my immersion in the Scriptures, do not daily. And, you know, every morning's not like, you know, angels are descending and living in my room. It's not like... You know, like Alan's got some special kind of time with Jesus, and it's not like it's just. But what? What? I just I've learned to love that place. 
get up in the morning, get a shower, go and get my coffee, sit with my Bible, sit in the presence of Jesus, think about his beauty, think about his glory, get shaped by the scriptures. And if you do that every day, you start to get transformed. And, and what I try to do at night is, I'm, I'm, I'm praying this prayer over my, I'm praying this prayer I saw somewhere, in the next one a wee minute, Johnny, I'm praying this prayer over my life at night. Father, where did I encounter you today? Jesus, show me the moments we recognized your presence to us and with us. Spirit, where did I wander from you today, sitting in thoughts, words, and deeds by what I have done and by what I have left undone? Gracious God, forgive me. I believe in your goodness and mercy in Jesus Christ, gratefully acknowledging I am forgiven. So I try to do that every night and just sit and think about my day and go, you know what, I was a bit impatient at that point. And so Jesus, I just thank you that you forgive me. Uh, I'd love tomorrow to be a bit more patient. By the help of your spirit, would you do this? Jesus, you showed up today when I was having a cup of coffee with that person and something in my spirit started to well up as I just thought about their faithfulness or how they love their kids or how they showed kindness. Father, I came and encountered your goodness today when I thought about just the great gifts that you've given me in life. I looked around my family this morning and I thought, wow, these are gifts that you've given to me. You know, she kind of do that. It's called the examine if you want to use the spiritual kind of church history term for it. But if you do that at night, if you do it once, it's all right. If you do it every night, you get transformed. You, you get You get changed. These are disciplines and practices that Jesus did because what I'm actually doing is I'm rehabitating. Or like, so we have habits, right? So I'm making up a word here, I think, right? We're rehabiting, right? So, so you start to learn to love things because you actually are what you love. You become what you love. You become what you love. And so it doesn't always happen with a big emotion, Right? And so I have to engage my will with that. Now, it's not my will that's just doing it. But when I engage my will, my desires, with the Spirit of God, then he, the Spirit informs my will to look towards Jesus. And then in that area, I'm being changed and transformed. And so there's other things like rest and Sabbath and fasting and community and church and people around me. I, I could never survive without the local church properly in my spiritual. I could never grow the way I'm supposed to because somebody should be shepherding your journey into Christ-likeness. Somebody should be helping you, and we should be doing that to one another, walking into Christ-likeness. And, and so in doing all of those things, what we're doing is we rehabit our loves. So when I was, and, and this happens, if you, if, you, if you flick on there, Johnny, to a couple more slides, yeah, that one. The Spirit of Christ, of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. So if he gives me life through the Spirit, it doesn't end in the Spirit. He's giving life to every part of my being. And so my desires get changed. This is what I'm trying to say. Your desires, your loves, your hopes, they over time start to get changed and transformed. So when I was a young Christian, let me put it like this. When I was a young Christian, I loved Jesus. I, was, I, wanted to, I wanted to learn to love him. But I was aware of the law of sin of flesh. So if I came home 
Let me be really honest, okay? Let me be really vulnerable here and honest and go. When I came home from church or when I came home late at night, you know, I used to not do what I just told you I did at night. I just sat and watched a bit of TV. And I'm not, not saying that's wrong at all. And from time to time, as I watched the TV, I'd feel a temptation to watch something I shouldn't have watched. And so that temptation was strong in me. The law of flesh, the law of sin and death, still trying to work its way in me. And thank God it didn't become a problem for me. But I was really, really aware of it. And I'm still aware of it in my own life. But, you know, over time, that kind of went away. And I came home and I watched Sky Sports News for an hour and a half, even though Rich is like, why do you watch that? Because it's just the same thing the next hour after that. And I was like, I know, but it's just like therapeutic or something. And do, do you know what I mean? So, and I still watch sort of Sky Sports News, right? It's just like a thing, right? It's, but, but over time, it's just like, I'm bored with that now too. Do you, do you know what I mean? And so, and so now what I do is, I'm not saying I watch TV and things like that. I, of course you do. But now the thing I love to do the most is, just go into my study before I go to bed for 15 or 20 minutes and, and sit with Jesus. And when I don't have that time, I feel like I miss something. And I use little tools like the prayer I just prayed or I, I, use, I read a little devotional thing or just orientate the needle of my heart towards true north. And then I realize I can put my head in the pillow at night and the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords is abiding in my heart. He's got the whole thing under control. He's got my family in his hands. He's got my work in his hands. It doesn't depend on me. You know, we, we sung about his sovereignty this morning. It, in, in a sense, it doesn't depend on me. Obviously, he wants us to partner with him, but you know what I mean? It, so what, what I'm just trying to say, and that's a little example, I could give you loads of others, but I don't have time. My love's were changed. My loves have been transformed. The affections of my heart have been orientated towards him. But that only comes day after day after day. It's what Eugene Peterson called a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. And we just orientate our lives towards Jesus. And it gives life to our mortal body. It gives life to every part of us. And I'm not going to extrapolate this too much, but the third point is just speaks for itself. In some ways, it should have been number one. But we worship. But I wanted to finish with that because that's what I want us to think about as we go. Everything I've really been saying is we worship Jesus. We worship him. See, worship is a spirit thing because God is spirit. And those who worship me must worship me in spirit and truth, Jesus said. In spirit and truth. We do it out of the essence. Our spirit is the very essence of who we are. We do it in spirit and truth. And we, we worship and we lift our eyes on to Jesus, giving him our whole selves. And in and through that, we are transformed. We are changed. We become like him. And we finish with the scripture. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate. The other translations say, Behold. Like sometimes you look in things, right? You glance at things. But other times you behold them. Like that first time you saw your spouse, yeah? You beheld them. Yeah? The beauty of their face shone all around, yeah? Yeah? 
something like that, wasn't it? You you didn't just look at them, you know, you just, or let's say when, you know, for those of us who are privileged to have had children, you know, you behold, you behold the baby. You just stare at it and look at it, you behold it because it's beautiful and it's yours. You, you contemplate it. And that's why, actually, it doesn't have what they say, the psychology of why babies that grow up and have good emotional kind of stability and security are those who have had that gaze from a mother or a father into their very eyes because the psychological kind of things that are kicking off in the neurons of that little baby's brain in those first six months to a year, you know, we can't even realize what's going on there. But when we're looking into their eyes, they're being something of love, the gaze of love, the gaze, the gaze of love, of giving worth, is doing something in their the chemistry of their brain that bringing an emotional security and love into their lives. That's what it means to behold. But we behold the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into his image. Look, with ever increasing, day by day by day, ever increasing glory. It never stops. It only gets more and more beautiful, more and more glorious, more and more wondrous, which comes from the Lord. Look, who is the Spirit? And so it's by the Spirit, as he comes to us, that we, we behold his beauty. I know sometimes, think of your worship, sometimes for us guys, it's difficult, you know, to think of another man that we're calling kind of beautiful. And what is that? Yeah. Well, here's what I do, right? I think about the most, sometimes what I do is I think about the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Like, the most pure, beautiful thing. Like, you can't describe the beauty that you see in your own child's face. You can't describe the beauty of her an horizon. Did anybody see the moon the last couple of nights? You can't describe the the beauty in some ways of that. It's It does something in our hearts or spirits. Or, or we look over a sunset or we stand on a mountaintop and we're, huh? we behold that. You know, Think of that. And then I think Jesus created all of that. And he's even more beautiful than all of that. And then I try to picture his eyes. And they love me so much. There's like a tenderness in his eyes. But they're on fire. Because his love for me is so deep and so passionate and so pure. And, it, and it, it's like laser. It goes like right down into the very soul of who I am, that love. Touches me in, my, in places of my heart that no, nothing else or no one else can touch me. Not even my wife who knows me better than anybody and loves me more than anybody. Jesus can touch my heart in a way that even she can't. And so that's why you start to learn that beholding Jesus, beholding his glory, looking upon him and by the Spirit, then we are changed and transformed into his very image and likeness. And we have the scriptures to inform us about what they should look like. And we're going to look at them next week. Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, self-control, all of those things. That's what it should look like. But ultimately it comes not by us going, oh, I'll try and be good today. I'll be a good boy. I'll do a few good things. No, no. It starts with worship. Because Jesus is the source of all goodness. Jesus is the source of all kindness. Jesus is the source of all. And so we ascribe worth to him. He is the one. Why we call him worthy is he is the one that all worth comes from. And we give him all of our worth. And we worship him. And then these moments were changed and transformed into his image. Like a mirror, we reflect his glory. That's why we need the Spirit. That's why we long for the Spirit. 
And that's what the Spirit does best, making us like Jesus. Amen? Let me pray.